Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you may be listening. Welcome, everybody, to the Double Down WMA podcast. I'm Eric Nemchak, alongside Stephen Trinkwald. We're going to be continuing our 2021 uh, Outlook episodes with the Minnesota Lynx. And, Stephen, we've got a lot to unpack here. We do have a lot to unpack. A team that was uh, pretty good last year, you know, definitely exceeded some expectations, after, you know, given everything that, that went down with uh, point guard depth uh, coming into the season and uh, losing you know, their franchise player in a lot of ways uh, for most of the regular season, but still able to uh, maintain that coveted buy for uh, the, the four seed there. The Lynx, they, they went 14 and eight last year. Like I mentioned, they, they were able to get the four seed. Uh, they wound up with a 5.1 net rating, which was good for fourth as well. Third best offense in the league, 106.7 and a defensive rating of 101.7, which is good for fifth. So that's how you get your 5.1 net rating. They uh, defeated Phoenix in the second round uh, in a pretty competitive game before getting swept by Seattle in the semifinals, which, you know, was, uh, again, I think pretty competitive given, uh, you know, a sweep. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, not all sweeps are created equal, of course. Yeah, the one thing I remember about, about that series is uh, the storm meeting that last second Alicia Clark put back in order to, to beat Minnesota. And it, it really, it, it showed you how resilient that the link, the links were. The one thing that I think you need to start with talking about, or you need to start with when you're talking about the 2020 Minnesota links was life with Sylvia Fowles versus life after Sylvia Fowles because she got injured. Yeah. And life with Sylvia Fowles, those first uh, few games was kind of more of the same of what we've come to expect the last couple of years, you know, a really, really solid defensive team, you know, kind of just okay as an offensive team. And then things, uh, things really changed for them after falls went down. She played, I think it was seven games in the regular season, but her, her final game was, I think their ninth game. She had missed a couple before kind of finally, you know, missing the rest of the regular season. And once she went down 111.3 offensive rating over those final 13 games after she went down, that was number one in the league during that time, the number one offense in the league over that span. And that would have been number one over the course of the full season too. Um, and I mentioned that they were, they were fifth defensively over the course of the year, but that number dropped down to 10th uh, over those last 13 games without fouls. So a dramatic shift in kind of what, what we saw with her on and off the court. So what's, what were the links doing Right. After Sylvia Fowles got injured, because I think, you know, after she got injured with the, uh, well, I think it was a calf injury and the prognosis did not look good. Everyone kind of wrote the links off saying like, okay, they're not, they don't have the stuff to be a, a contender anymore, but they did end up snagging that four seed. And as you said, as you mentioned, their offense really did a total 180. For me, it was one of the more impressive midseason turnarounds in, in, in recent memory. Not like they were bad prior to Fowles getting hurt, but the way that Cheryl Reeve was really able to kind of turn this offense on its head, really embrace small ball in an environment which did not allow for much time for adjustments. Yeah, and some of the adjustments that they, they did make, um, they crept up to sixth in three-point attempt rate, and, you know, that was kind of heading that way, even with falls in the lineup, uh, but that was up from 10th in 2019. So um, pretty encouraging there. One thing that kind of remained consistent for them, um, given uh, at least in the context of, you know, league averages and, and stuff like that is they were still 
third in post-up frequency over the course of the season, and they were number one in efficiency. Uh, Dantas was really great. Collier was really great. Of course, Falls was great as well. Um, uh, Dantas, 75th percentile uh, posting up. She's not someone who you kind of think of as a traditional, you know, strong drop step post-up player, I think, no. you know, more of a, a little bit of a, a finesse, I guess, post player, particularly, you know, she can go either shoulder on you, right? But when she she turns left shoulder, that means she's kind of going up with her strong hand. She can go a little bit more into the defender, kind of get right to the rim, but she can go right shoulder as well and hit you with that fadeaway. And, and both of those were, were pretty effective. I think uh, she was 80th percentile turning right shoulder, 100th percentile turning left shoulder. So uh, pretty good to be able to go both, both ways um, e- over either shoulder. You know, back back to posting up a little bit. Obviously, Collier is is great there. Uh, I think you know maybe the best player in the league in terms of you know she's not necessarily the best back to the basket post player, but when she does get down to the post, uh, you know she's putting herself between the defender and the rim and giving you plenty of room for that over the top entry pass just about as well as anybody else in the league, I think. And then of course, Falls is just Sylvia Falls. You know, she's going to be awesomely efficient uh, no matter. Uh, the, the context, uh, I guess. So um, one thing I did think was interesting about their offense and kind of what worked well for them and what didn't work well for them is they were they were ninth in uh, scoring from the pick and roll ball handler, you know, despite Dangerfield being really effective. She really was good, yeah. 75th percentile and she took up about a third of those possessions. But, you know, Odyssey Sims and Shanice Johnson were both really bad scoring out of the pick and roll. Bannon was kind of slightly below average. So, uh, so for them to be ninth, despite Dangerfield's success, was I thought was pretty interesting. But you know, I think one thing that really stands out in terms of what made them so successful after Falls went down, you know, there's there's kind of three things that I, I would point to. One, you know, just the difference between playing five out and four out. You know, when you do have one of those other post players, you know, Collier, Dantas, and they do want to, you know, get down to the block, you you don't have a second big that's already down there in Falls. And you know, Falls is a terrific offensive player, obviously, but it's a difference, right? It's a difference between having those other four players standing behind the three-point line or not. But also, you know, just there, there was a lot of shooting luck in there. After Falls' injury, uh, the team as a whole shot 41% from three, uh, which is a lot higher than kind of what, what we would expect from a WNBA team. There hasn't been a WNBA team that has shot 40% on three over the course of a full season since 2012. So I definitely saw a lot of uh, unsustainable shooting from the links. And I think maybe some of that just had to do with, you know, playing in, in the bubble in one arena, you know, the lack of uh, a travel. I know people were thinking that I think maybe the quality of basketball might be a little bit worse given like um, the, the quick turnaround time between games. But honestly, I think it was probably a net positive when you take away the travel and, of course, all like the travel hardships that WNBA players have to go through in a normal season. It's not like they are, get the luxury of, of other leagues in terms of uh, private aviation and, and everything like that. So, so, so you're saying that uh, the shooting has actually benefited in the bubble? I think so. Yeah. A lot of, I mean, a lot of, uh, and I think maybe it was just be- another thing that we saw with this is just, you know, not as good defensive players uh, participating in the bubble. You know, there were a lot of good players that, that weren't there, but I think, you know, offense was definitely way up for the season and, you know, with the short season, those things can just kind of like go up and down in, in any circumstance, I guess. But individually, you know, after Falls went down, Rachel Bannum shot 60% on threes after the Falls injury, like, and well above her career norms throughout the season. Collier and Dantas were both above 45% from three in that stretch. For the season, the Lynx were one of only three teams to make at least 38% of their threes. And even that 38% number, like, 
there were three teams that hit that. And I don't think anybody hit that in 2019. So, you know, just to give you a, a little bit more context about how the shooting was better than the previous season, I should say, or, or recent seasons. And one other thing I think that really helped this offense is just, you know, playing two point guards at a time, uh, you know, both um, Dangerfield and Odyssey Sims are players who can get their own shot off uh, in pretty much any area of the floor. You know, there are elements of Sims game that maybe we like more than others, but she's, you know, she's a three-level scorer to some respect. You know, they can both create for others as well. And, you know, when you play two very capable offensive point guards together at the same time, your offense is just going to, you know, be a little bit better than players who are, you know, having only one of those players and, and players who are a little bit more reliant on others, I think. It's, that's a good point. It really makes the offense more difficult to guard. It makes it one, uh, much less one-dimensional. And you mentioned even though Sylvia Fowles is a, ter- a tremendous post-up player and a tremendous offensive player, particularly, you know, finishing around the rim and, and drawing those fouls, it does kind of lead to bogging things down a little bit. And that's something that going with the five-out offense, as you mentioned, they just, they just kind of pushed that into the win. You know, it, was, it, it gave opponents a lot of different looks. And maybe opponents just weren't capable, weren't able to handle it. You know, they weren't prepared for it. They had such little prep time. And this is why I say, I think this is one of Cheryl Reeves' best coaching jobs. She really kind of, she was a step ahead of the game. I I forget who it was. I think it was, maybe it was Walt Hopkins for New York. He said like, yeah, this, this, this bubble situation, it's not, it's not conducive to changing a lot of things on the fly because you don't have a lot of practice time or prep time or whatever. Cheryl Reeves was like, okay, hold my beer. She just goes from a post-up offense to a five-out offense with tremendous results. Of course, you mentioned the defense did suffer after that, but all in all, a very successful season for the Lynx, I would say. Do you want to kind of get into the player specifics here a little bit more? Because Nafisa Collier had a tremendous season. Yeah, I mean, she was awesome. You know, if if positions weren't taken into account, she definitely would have been first team all WNBA, right? But, you know, she just happens to be maybe the fourth best player in the league last season. And, and the other three were also, you know, Stewart, forwards, yeah. yeah, Stewart, Wilson and, and Parker. So, I mean, then it's the breaks, I guess, but what, what, where should we start with Collier specifically, you know, offensively, defensively? I mean, she, she played so many different roles for this team. It's uh, and led the league in minutes, by the way. So yeah. Um, another tremendously efficient offensive season. You uh, had texted me a few minutes before we started, just kind of laughing at her efficiency around the rim able to knock down the three-point shot. I think that's maybe one thing that we wish she did a little bit more. But where, where do you kind of want to start with Collier? Well, I'm not sure if it was a good place to start because she's just so versatile, Steve. I mean, she – we talk about one of, the, one of the phrases you like is is impacting winning basketball. And she impacts winning basketball in so many different ways on both ends of the court. I think, you know, after fouls got injured, Collier had to take on a, a bit of a larger role. And this is interesting because Cheryl Reeve did say in, in a recent uh, media call that – Collier's rookie of the year season, they didn't plan it that way because they did sign Karima Christmas Kelly to be their starter. And then she got injured and Collier just kind of worked her way in the starting lineup and just happened to be an amazing player. So I think it, it kind of took another step in that direction where Collier took on a larger usage role and her scoring efficiency actually went up as well, which is the indication of a really good player. Yeah. Over 60%. Uh, true shooting for the season for Collier. She made over 40% of her three. She made over 50% of her two. She was, as we kind of alluded to before, just unstoppable around the basket. She'll completely put 
smaller players, you know, in the goal or, or away from the goal in the circumstances where, you know, she does have that inside seal. Um, but even, you know, like size, larger players, like she can, she can post those players up as well, you know, given her, her length and her touch around the basket, her, her face up game. I think we both want her to maybe fire away from three a little bit more, but she's still a well-respected shooter. So, you know, she's getting closed out on and, and she can definitely attack a closeout. She lo- loves to attack with a left hand and she's very, very effective. Um, she, she's too strong for anyone she's not too fast for and too fast for anyone she's not too strong for at, at, at her kind of forward Simple position. enough. Yeah, so, I mean, she's, she's a real tough cover. And, you know, I think you can kind of want some of the offensive aggressiveness to maybe increase it in some ways. But, I mean, she scored, you know, 17 points per 36 minutes. That's, that's really, really good. Like, you know, there's, there's not a lot to kind of nitpick in her offensive game outside of, you know, maybe you would like to see the three point attempts, you know, two and a half threes per 36 minutes for someone who is such a good shooter, you know, uh, and just the, the kind of threat of knowing that she'll fire away, I think would be a valuable piece of this offense. But I mean, we're, we're picking nits. One of the uh, numbers that really stood out to me regarding Collier's aggressiveness on offense, she actually did her, her percentage of two pointers assisted fell dramatically from her rookie season. She was assisted on about 71.5% of her two-pointers her rookie season, 59.5% last season. So she did take – I feel like Collier, Her, if there's one knock on her game, it's that she doesn't do too much off the dribble or anything like that. Like she, She's not a player who you can just like give the ball to on the perimeter and she's just going to create a shot out of nowhere. But that's really – a small complaint, you know, because she just, she's just so efficient everywhere else. And she's, I mean, she, she she's gets not the most... really considered to have like the type of like undeniability that we've talked about yeah. at least with Wilson and Deladon. But I mean, is, is that even true? You know? No, I mean, I mean, she gets, she's, she's undoubtedly extremely effective in basically every other phase of the game. So it's like, who cares? Yeah. But that, that will definitely get to something that will, talk about later in terms of you know this this offense is going to have so many new pieces and so many really talented pieces that kind of where where does uh how does the offense drive you know uh late in games against the best teams but I mean defensively you know we've talked about it before as well but um so good her her versatility I think you know not only is it great defensively obviously her defensive versatility but her defensive versatility serves as a great weapon offensively as well like there was uh, I think I've referenced this game before but there was a game against Indiana where she was, you know, the primary defender guarding Julie Alamond at the point guard. And uh, whenever Minnesota would get a turnover or get a rebound, like Collier was just able to sprint hard down the floor and get an early duck in against Alamond, you know, before Indiana could properly, you know, get their cross match correct. And, uh, you know, Collier was just able to eat, like get to the free throw line on consecutive possessions, get to the, you know, get to the rim. She, so, um, but, obviously this has its own value defensively as well, where you can, you know, put her on a Julie Alamond or you can have her be your center for pretty much the second half of the season. Now, granted that led to um, the highest allowed uh, field goal percentage around the rim last season for Minnesota. But despite that, they were still number one in the league in frequency uh, around, you know, within five feet. So we always talk about, you know, you definitely prioritize volume over efficiency in terms of giving up shots at the rim. Um, but you know, they were, uh, similarly 11th in defending around the rim in the half court on non post-ups and they were not necessarily a, a great defensive rebounding team once they lost fouls. I, I think there's no surprise there. So, I mean, playing Collier at the five 
with uh, a Damaris Dantas, you know, it, it has the strengths and weaknesses for sure. But uh, I think overall, when you're, you're first in offense by a comfortable margin and, and you happen to be 10th in defense, I think that's a, a trade-off that they are more than comfortable with. Well, I mean, I actually don't think Reeve was comfortable with it, but it's a no, no. trade-off I would be comfortable with, I think. Historically speaking, that's not something Reeve has, uh, is used to. You know, the Lynx, uh, the, the two things that I associate with the Lynx over their previous, you know, dynasty, um, not fouling and being really, really good on the defensive glass. Uh, both those things kind of took a small hit or a considerable hit last season. And that's something I want to keep my eye on this coming up season, because if fouls is not healthy or if she's not really a factor, can they get back to that style of not putting their opponents at the line? So for some context, last year they were, they were sixth in opponents free throw rate. So not horrible, but the last time they didn't finish in the top four in opponents free throw, free throw rate was 2012. So that just speaks to how consistently they've been able to keep opponents off the foul line. We always talk about how important that is. And defensive rebounding, as you said, it was a struggle. I mean, because they're small. So as for as much as we talk about how fouls, you know, how good they are, how good they were without fouls and how impressive they were without fouls, um, she is still very much a part of this championship equation if the Lynx are to compete are to compete. So yeah, I mean, what do we say about Sylvia Fowles? Well, I mean, obviously did not play a ton last season, but when she was out there, I thought she... Oh, she was great. Yeah, she was a, as good as ever, right? She was still one of the best defensive players in the league, in my opinion. Like, her her defensive uh, instincts, obviously. Like, you know, this is Sylvia Falls we're talking about. <laughs> we, we don't have to, you know, talk about how good she is on defense, but it, it's worth noting that, you know, it's not like she's a player who uh, missed a lot of time but was also a diminished version of herself. Like, she was great. Mm-hmm. She was as efficient as ever. She was uh, a great pick-and-roll defender. She's a great one-on-one defender. I mean, uh, in that same game against Indiana that I referenced before, just like seeing her just completely torture Tierra McCowan on both ends in terms of, you know, offensively, she was just putting her in the goal every time. And defensively, she, you know, just kind of knew where to be all the time in, in a ways that, you know, uh, I think McCowan coming out of school maybe got the the follows comparison uh, a little bit yeah. more than <laughs> of us are comfortable with. And, uh, you know, seeing the difference in just defensive intelligence and, and kind of knowing where to be and, and, and all that stuff was very stark uh, seeing those two players on the court at the same time. But, you know, it it is interesting how she fits into, you know, a, a roster that really kind of changed what they were doing last year. And I think if you ask Reeve and, and Reeve is being completely honest, you know, she, she'd probably say I'd rather have fouls than, than be the number one offense in the way that we were playing last year and, and be 10th in defense. So it'll be interesting to see how it's all kind of integrated. We saw in, in Fowles's, uh return game in the playoffs that kind of getting her reacclimated was a little bit of a struggle, but you know, that could also be somewhat injury related and, and all that, uh, you know, um, endurance related and, and everything like that. So, um, but obviously, you know, Minnesota did things a lot differently when she was gone. So, you know, we'll, we'll see kind of what that looks like. And, you know, given the off season acquisitions that they had, if they even go to that uh, Collier Dantas front court pairing, you know, at the four and the five rather than the three and the four at all. Would you like to kind of move into that? Or do you have some other things to talk about for 2020? Because I think that'd be a good segue into yeah, I mean, I, th- I think we can kind of – we've talked so much about Krista Dangerfield in, in previous yeah. episodes that we can – and she'd kind of be the big other one to talk about. So, yeah, let, let's move to to 2021. Let's just kind of uh, cover, you know, the roster changes. They're bringing in, obviously, Kayla McBride. They brought in Ariel Powers, Natalie Achanwa, who 
Uh, Achanwa currently will be the, the third highest paid player on this team as their backup center. Um, they're not returning any players from COVID absences uh, or bubble-related absences, I guess. But obviously, they'll be getting, they'll be reintroducing Sylvia Fowles into everything, and they'll be losing from last season. Odyssey Sims, uh, Makia Herbert Harrigan, Shanice Johnson, Erica McCall, and then some other kind of, uh, you know, Kayla Alexander, some some end of the bench players. Um, so when I was kind of like, um, you know, drawing this out in my notes and trying to figure out kind of what this was going to look like, um, I was having a hard time thinking like, okay, is it going to be, you know, their, I guess, core three of Dangerfield, Collier, Falls with their two prize acquisitions, McBride and Powers in the starting lineup, or is Powers going to maybe be their sixth woman with Collier, Dantas, and Falls all in the starting front court? Uh, I mean, there's a lot to talk about rotation-wise. Like, where where should we even start with this one? Well, fortunately, I think if you have Nafisa Collier in your lineup, you can kind of play some positionless basketball. It's it's more of it, it, to me, it's more of like, do you want Dantas starting or not? Right. I don't think the they're paying Ariel Powers a max contract to come off the bench. Maybe that's maybe that's just me. But I think we we talked about previously how they match up defensively. And you say you'd rather have Powers guard the two and McBride guard the three. So you can have some cross matches going on there. I, I think Dantas is better coming off the bench, but I don't know. Like she's such a good passer. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think I think Collier's best position is probably the four. I agree. Um, I mean, I, I wouldn't if it's me, and I'm I'm just kind of looking at it from a team building philosophy, like. I, I wouldn't necessarily mind Powers coming off the bench. Like, you know, she has her own specific set of strengths and weaknesses that I think actually, as we saw with Washington, fit in really well as, for sure. as you know, a, a, a wing reserve uh, in terms of her aggressiveness and, and her ability as a three-level scorer. You know, I guess similar to, to Odyssey Sims, what she brought in just in terms of she's a lot more kind of individually offensive focused than as a, a playmaker and stuff like that. But I mean, which one of those, you know, between powers and, and Dantas, like which, I don't even know which one of those lineups gives you a better, um, like which one of those is more of a defensive lineup. You know, I, I don't think Dantas is you typically when you're playing larger, you're going more defense heavy, but I don't think Dantas yeah. is a particularly strong defender, but with that being said, like, Powers' own team defense, I think, can be a, a problem. And I actually do think with this lineup specifically, I think overall, like, I like McBride more as a three. But given this lineup, I do think I would rather have McBride guard twos generally and, and Powers guard the small forward generally than, than have that cross match. So I, I don't know. I, I think there, there's so much uh, optionality, I guess, they have. And uh, obviously, you know, the one player we haven't talked too much about is Achanwa, which her presence alone, unless you're really, really scaling back falls minutes, like it just makes me think that there's not going to be the room for the the Dantas Collier front court pairing without a true center that brought them so much offensive success last year. Uh, I think there will be a, scale, a scaling back of Sylvia Fowles minutes because she's 35 years old. You know, I, we, we, we marvel at how, at how well she's aged, not just her game, but like her as her physically speaking, she's for, for such a, a player so dependent on physicality and athleticism, she has really aged marvelously. Um, but for one, like the Achanma signing, I know you hate it and I'll give you time to talk about why you hate it, but both the years and the money suggested fouls, Either this is going to be her last year, or if it's not, she's definitely going to be like load managed. 
because for one, Reeve has not been shy about doing doing this in the past. Uh, if you look at Lindsey Whalen and Simone Augustus, both of those are players who, you know, their minutes got scaled back considerably towards the end of the road there, even getting some DNPs along the way. Also, I looked at the synergy uh, statistics. The Lynx have been posting up less and less throughout the, uh, over the years. So they went from 14, 14.1% in 2017, 12.4% in 2018, 10.1% in 2019, and then 9.3% last year. Granted, Sylvia Fowles isn't getting all of those post-ups, but it does make me wonder, like, are they kind of slowly going away from Sylvia Fowles carrying the offensive load? I think they are. And also, you have to consider how valuable she is to the team on defense. They can survive if Sylvia on offense if Sylvia Fowles is not getting the ball in the post every single time. But on defense, I think you want to save her for that end of the court. So if Sylvia Fowles if, – if, if the thing that gets Sylvia Fowles healthy or keeps her healthy and keeps her fresh – is scaling back her minutes and is playing Natalie Achanwa considerable minutes. I'm okay with it. Yeah. And I would, I mean, I would love to see Sylvia Fowles go on the Angel McCautry minutes restriction plan of just playing 20 minutes a game every night in the regular season. And, you know, maybe that gets up to 26 minutes in a really big regular season game. But if she didn't hit that 30 minute threshold over the entirety of the regular season, I think I, w- I would be extremely happy with that. But that being said, like, even if your starting center plays 20 minutes a game, you brought in a high profile or, or high price tag backup center to play presumably 20 minutes, uh, no, no less than 16, I would imagine. So that, that doesn't really give you an extended time period to have the Collier uh, Dantis front court. So I, I guess we can just assume that we're just not going to see that in, in the season, right? Um, probably not extensively, but I think when you look at that contract, you have to, you have to be thinking about the future as well. It's not just for this season. Yeah, sure. And I, I, that's really, I mean, I, I completely understand like Minnesota wanting to get front court depth. And I think Natalie Chan was a, a good player, you know, maybe not, I, I don't think I may would, maybe would have targeted her as the starting center replacement of the future to, you know, the, uh, the heir to Sylvia Fowles, but she's perfectly good. You know, she's a good player, but my, my beef, I guess, with just the contract is just completely removing something that was a really effective thing for them last year, which is, the, the Collier Dantis lineup and and that you know playing a Collier or a Dantis uh, Collier specifically next to a Chanwa is, is just so much different than playing her next to Dantis because one I think Dantis is a better passer and the difference between Dantis you know canning 40% of her threes or a Chanwa canning 45% of her long twos like one obviously it's a much uh, closer double team if Collier does have the mismatch in the post um, and two like those shots just aren't as efficient. If it's Natalie Chanwa from, you know, the the top of the arc, long twos are, are worse than threes type thing. And, and Chanwa hasn't really been able to integrate that into her game at all. And, you know, she is coming off a career low in true shooting, which, you know, it's not something I think is the end of the world, given the, the bubble circumstances, you know, not everybody was going to adapt to it the same rate or the same way. But, you know, she's she's never really developed that, that outside shot uh, from three, despite her taking a, a decent amount of her shots from long two. And I think, uh, I don't know how many different ways I can say it, but I just think, you know, minimizing the, the Collier Dantas at the four and the five to replace those minutes with a Chanwa is just going to make this team not as good. It's also, I don't think a Chanwa is much of an upgrade over Dantas defensively either, if at all. Um, the one thing that I'll say in defense of this signing is that we haven't really seen a Chanwa be on a good team. Sure. Like, I think that's fair. Like ever <laughs> in, in her WNBA career. Um, and she's going to a really strong culture with 
some really strong complementary players, or not, I don't want to say complementary players, but, but players who, who would fit, you know, in, in a system alongside of her much better than, than what happened in Indiana. So I think if there's a, if there's a coach or a GM to be given the benefit of a doubt, it's Cheryl Reeve. Um, I totally feel you on, on the length and the, uh, of the contract and the, and the guaranteed money, but um, I don't think it's bad. I don't, think, I, don't, I don't think it's bad. Should we talk about the, the, the wing depth that they brought in? To, yeah, go to for the it. Higher, high, uh, to the higher profile, I guess, wing players and, and Kayla McBride and McBride specifically her, uh, really both of them, but, but McBride's role in this offense is going to be very interesting to me. You know, I think we, we've talked about before the difference between a player that can kind of knock down standstill three-pointers and a player who you can kind of run in action for to get a three-point look on the move. And Cheryl Reeve just hasn't really kind of had this player since Maya Moore. And Kayla McBride is not Maya Moore, but, you know, she, she has the three-point versatility in terms of, you know, you can run actions to get her a clean look on the move uh, in a way that Reeve hasn't really been able to, to do, you know, McBride's balance her release her her ability to kind of hit every type of three-point shot you draw up for her you know I think I maybe believe in McBride and uh something that this is kind of leading up to a conversation that I think has to be had with this team in terms of like who's who's the number one player offensively but like I I don't think I believe in McBride as much as some other people in terms of like a a self-creator you know someone who's going to get something for herself off the bounce you know definitely she's I think a capable attacking closeouts and, and finishing the rim that way. But outside of that, I think she's a little bit too reliant in her own creation uh, from two point range on kind of the floater floater range and, and doesn't quite get to the rim reliably enough, right. uh, you know, in that regard, but from, from her three point perspective, like using that as a real weapon, I think it's, it's going to be interesting to what her usage rate looks like, you know, what her three point attempt rate looks like, like, is she going to be able to get that three point attempt rate up to the level of some of like the real, bombers around the league uh which you know obviously she's coming from a system that has not necessarily valued that skill set and and maybe that's the reason why that number's a little bit lower for her than some other uh, some of the other you know best three-point shooters in the league some of the other elite three-point shooters so yeah we'll, we'll see like does her her usage kind of float around like the 20 percent, or is she was she brought in to be the kind of number one player offensively how how creative are they going to get with her shooting i think that one is is going to definitely be there you know we've seen Reeve do that type of stuff before with Maya Moore so uh but but the other stuff I think is going to be uh pretty interesting I'm not sure if they brought her in to be that I, I agree with you I don't think she is a number one offensive option but on a team like this I don't think that matters because you have so many different players who like their usage is going to be in like the low to mid 20s Dangerfield we're assuming Collier Powers usually been a pretty high usage player Fouls, if she's in there, could still put up a usage of like 20 to 23, 24%, something like that. So, yeah, I mean, I think it, I think for this, in this, for this core, it's just more about their depth and more about their offensive versatility than their being. I, I do, I do agree with you in that um, one of the team's few weaknesses is that they don't really have a player who can create her own shot off the dribble consistently. Except for maybe danger field or powers, but like at the end, like in, at, at, in during an end of the game scenario. I agree with you on that, but this is a very interestingly built team, I think, because they paid a lot of money. Yeah. But they did it to create, you know, all these different avenues of, of offensive versatility rather than one specific player. Yeah. And I think, you know, generally making the leap from 
from bad to good or from good to really good is is less difficult than making that final leap from being a really good team to a title contending team. Sure. And I think this roster is going to be an interesting study in, in that and in what you were just kind of saying, because you have like a really good team with a lot of really good players, but no real kind of, uh, or, or maybe there is, and, and we, we're just not sure who it is yet, but no true offensive kind of superstar engine who's kind of reliably creating a lot of offense for, uh, high efficiency offense for herself and for others. Uh, but rather you kind of just replaced all of your worst players with very good players, you know, replacing yeah. Odyssey Sims, who was okay last year uh, with like a Kayla McBride, replacing Shanice Johnson, who was really bad for them last year with an aerial powers, replacing the, the Kayla Alexander, Erica McCall minutes with Natalie Chanwa. Like all of those I think are unquestionable upgrades. Um, but I think you still kind of lack the true offensive superstar engine. You know, I think Collier is definitely, uh, I think in, in a lot of ways, an offensive superstar. But again, it's it's kind of a, a different thing than, you know, the Elena Deladons or, or the Asia Wilsons. Of course. Pumping it in and, and you know you're going to get a pretty decent look no matter what. So can that get you to, to title contention? And I, I I think they're definitely kind of in that conversation and we'll, we'll see kind of where we get there. But um, I mean, what what do you think to kind of take us, look at another one of these players that they brought in. Like what is the ideal role for aerial powers on this team? I definitely agree with you in that her, her offensive skill set is better suited to coming off the bench just because of, you know, her, her strengths as being uh, a dribble penetrator, someone who can get her own shot pretty easily. You know, and in fact, I, I think she might be the best, like best dribble shot creator on this team, but you know, if, if she's in the studying lab, I do think she has the skill set to be more of a, how do I put this diplomatically? Just just a, a pass-friendly player. I think she's an underrated passer. I think her court vision is underrated. Um, but at the same time, like, if she's playing alongside McBride and alongside Dangerfield and alongside Collier and alongside Fowles, you don't want her hogging the basketball. So it's a bit of a give and take there. Like I said, I don't think they're going to be bringing her off the bench because I don't think that, because remember they traded Sims just to clear the guaranteed contract space to give to aerial powers. They really wanted aerial powers on this team. So I don't think they're going to bring her off the bench. Um, what do you think her, her ideal role is? I mean, I think that's all fine. Uh, if she's a starter on this team, I think that's, that's perfectly fine. If she is the, the first you know, score off the bench. I think that would be perfectly fine as, as well. I, I would probably lean her as the, as the starter. You know, I think everyone's role is a little bit more comfortable that way in terms of Collier being, being more of a four, you know, I, I do hate Dantas not kind of being in the starting lineup. I think she's good enough to be a starter. And I do think, you know, her Dantas's complementary skills are just, you know, she's just a little bit better of a, a more reliable kind of catch and shoot player. Um, so if you think you have enough, I guess, offensive initiation from, from Dangerfield and McBride and, and Collier, then Dantas, I think, does make more sense than Powers, you know, just as like a, a role player. You know, obviously she's just a, a little bit more of a reliable shooter from three. But, you know, Powers, it, it kind of comes and goes, I think, from the, the three-point percentage. But it's also annoying that we never got an official diagnosis, I don't believe, for Powers' hamstring injury. Uh, you know, I think it was believed to be kind of a week-to-week -week injury, and then she got shut down for the season. So I, I think given that initial diagnosis where, you know, she was going to be kind of reevaluated in five to 10 days or something, uh, we can probably rule out like a, a very severe, like grade three type injury, you know, where there maybe was a pop or something like that. And um, hopefully it wasn't too severe, but 
you know, it would just be nice if we didn't have to kind of speculate on this kind of stuff. Yeah. But otherwise, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about her strengths as someone who can get to the front of the rim. She has a, a very encouraging free throw attempt rate, a very encouraging three-point attempt rate. You know, her percentage from three isn't amazing, but, you know, 50% from two the last two seasons as well, which is great for a wing. Um, but, you know, we'll just kind of see how much they need her usage in this lineup, you know, given all their – with all of their best players in it. You know, I think that particular skill set might be better as – you know, you just kind of need there's there's less good offensive players on the floor at a given time, and you kind of need aerial powers to just kind of create some things for you. Um, and maybe it turns out that a lower usage player like a Bridget Carlton, who you know is probably no worse from a team defensive standpoint, probably a little worse as an individual defender, um, but is just you know I guess you know is going to take up less possessions for you and and can space the floor pretty reliably, right? Um, you know, maybe, maybe that's just something I, I could see Dantas or Carlson being a better fit with the other four starters than powers, but it's far from a sure thing. I think, even though I powers, think, I think is the best player. Well, maybe your question isn't, isn't what's the best starting lineup is the best closing lineup. Well, yeah, that, that's usually what happens throughout the game. You can stare like, you can find Demiris Dantas 20 minutes a game, whether or not she's starting. Yeah, for sure. And I think she'll, you know, I don't think they're going to completely minimize her role, but the other thing again about Achan was, uh, and having all of Fowles, Achanwa, Dantas, Collier on this team is it means like we'll probably we probably won't see you know the pretty good minutes that we saw from Aerial Powers as a small ball four in Washington. Like mm-hmm. there's there's probably no opportunity for that with this much front court depth. And you know I think that could Powers at the four could work really well whether you're going with like a, a smaller lineup altogether with like Collier at the five or if you want Sylvia Falls in the game at the five and just have falls make up for the lack of size everywhere else. Um, but it doesn't seem like we'll, we'll kind of get those type of looks given all the, the players that they have for those minutes. Okay. So moving on, uh, they have a few other pretty interesting bench players. You, you already mentioned Bridget Carlton and Rachel Bantam. Lexi Brown, I think is in there as well. How does this kind of hash out? Well, I mean, I, I feel like at this point they are, they're going into the season counting on Rachel Bantam to be their backup point guard. Um, that's not something I would necessarily feel comfortable with. Like, how, how do you feel about no. Bantam as, I mean, she, she played that role better last year than she did in 2019 in Connecticut, but is that something you would be comfortable with? No, not at all. But I'm not sure I'm comfortable with Lexi Brown being your backup point guard either. Mm. Uh, but like given their situation, like that might just be something they have to struggle through. Yeah. It's, I mean, so, so they they pick ninth. Obviously, Chicago is right ahead of them, and and also needs uh, a point guard, a backup point guard, desperately. I guess we can just kind of get to this part now. Like, if assuming they they don't get a point guard uh, that that they're comfortable with, or maybe they'll just take best player available anyway, and just kind of rely on the system, and you know, Collier and Bantam and and some other players kind of uh, splitting duties. Like, is is there a backup point guard solution out there anywhere for them, or? Um, uh-huh. I, I'm not seeing one. Uh, you have you have Brittany Boyd as an option. Um, I don't think she's a Cheryl Reeve type of player. I just think her game is too is too wild. Mm-hmm. You also have Mariah Jefferson. I think that'd be cool, but I don't think that's really realistic. I mean, I, don't, I just don't think Dallas is going to eat a second kind of guaranteed contract no, with no, no ability can't. to get it off their books in the coming yeah. seasons. The other other ones I kind of had in here, like Blake Dietrich is still unsigned as a restricted free agent. Um, it. I don't know if all three of 
Danielle Robinson, obviously she'll make the team, but Lindsay Allen and Kathleen Doyle, uh, will both of those players make Indiana? You know, maybe one of them can end up in, in Minnesota. Uh, you know, Shea Petty. So Pickens are pretty slim, I think. If we can go back to the, the Brown, Bantam, Carlton minutes, like is there a player there that you feel kind of most comfortable as your first wing off the bench, I guess? I think I actually like Richard Carlton the most of those three players. You know, this, this, the sample size is much smaller than that of Bantam or, or Brown, mm-hmm. but Carlton just was, was so good as an outside shooter last season. She really, she was given the opportunity and she really seized it. Granted, you could say the same about Rachel Bantam as well, but as a pure shooter with some height on the wing, which, which you know, Cheryl Reeve kind of embraced last season after fouls went down, Carlton was, was pretty impressive. You know, she's currently on a training camp contract. I do think they'll pick that up. I, I do think she'll be a part of this team. You know, Lexi Brown, she has this reputation of being a really good shooter. She was not at all a good shooter last season and her defense did not make up for it really like the the, the point guard spot was pretty much hers to take for the taking early on um she did not play well um and then crystal dangerfield came in and won rookie of the, rookie of the year so yeah. and of course brown did you know suffer the the concussion, yeah, she had the concussion. Yeah. yeah yeah um but the one thing about brown too is you know her three-point shot can can look pretty good at times but she will definitely shoot you out of some possessions and just take some some shots that yeah like it, it's great that her usage is maybe in a little bit more of a comfortable spot than Carlton's is you know people are concerned about Carlton's usage being too low at like 11 percent but the other side of that is Brown just taking some threes that are just you know real head scratchers you know early possession uh 28 footers where she's not even it's not even an open look um so that's definitely something to to be considered of with uh Lexi Brown but she probably is the best one-on-one defender of any oh yeah as well Absolutely. But the thing is like, how do you, how do you weigh that against everything else on offense? Because Lexi Brown, like if you run her off the three point line or if you're there on the catch, she's not really going to do anything. Whereas Carlton and maybe even Bantam to an extent are a little more versatile on offense. So it's, it's maybe an offense defense sort of switch off there. I think Carlton would be my choice as the first ring off the bench. But the other thing you have to consider is again, who's playing the backup point guard. And that's not really Carlton's game. Whereas Brown or Bantam, like theoretically, they could do it. Yeah, I mean, it, I don't think any of it's these not ideal really suited to be a backup point guard. Yeah, you know, Bantam was probably done the best at it, but um, Bantam also uh, is on the the highest contract for what it's worth, unprotected, of course. Uh, she did have the best, probably individual offensive season, uh, given you know her her usage. She she ended over uh 60% true shooting five assists per 36 minutes was a career high for her you know one thing about her serving as the backup point guard and I think a reason why neither of us like it is you know despite the assists being the best that they had been in her career last year like she's still really really susceptible to ball pressure you know just trying to make it up the court you know we saw some pretty good defenders just uh you know give her a really hard time just uh, taking it from her before she could even make it to the court or, um, you know, even if you are able to keep the possession, there's such a big difference in getting it uh, up the court with, you know, 18 seconds left on the clock or 16 seconds left on the clock, you know, when, when you're trying to run uh, intricate offensive sets, all, right. all that time counts, you know what I mean? So, so I, I definitely like Carlton the most. I think I, if Brown is, you know, up to the level of player, I, I think she could be, uh, I think I would like her, second for those minutes um but again that's if you get someone else to run back a point guard because uh, i don't think any of these three players uh are a suitable option for that role i don't think they can 
I just think this is going to be a weakness of this team um, because, you know, their cap space, assuming that Carlton's training contract, training camp contract is picked up, they're not going to have any more room cap space to sign a, a 12th player. So I think it would have to depend on who they draft really, because I think we, we, we disagree on, on Shepard's on Jessica Shepard being a, a, like a lock for this roster. I don't think she's a lock, but because like if, if Reef gets her player, gets a player she wants at number nine, I don't think she's going to hesitate to cut Jessica Shepard in favor of that player. But like, will that player be a guard? Will it be a wing? Like I, I like uh, Jasmine Walker from Alabama as a fit on this team. Cause she's another shooting scoring forward, but I don't know. It's this. So, is the pro- well, so here's the thing. If they, if they keep Bantam and they keep Brown, uh, they, they can't afford Carlton Shepard and their first round pick. Right. So you're, you're either letting one of those two players go uh, or letting someone else go, you know, who knows, maybe mm-hmm. it's, maybe it's Bantam with that, the largest salary of, of any of these players that we said, or maybe you're, you're drafting stashing at number nine, or, you know, you have to let one of Carlton or Shepard or uh, not roster your first round pick. I don't think they're not, I don't think they're going to not roster their first round yeah, pick. Exactly. That's, that's just not something that happens. Uh, so yeah, it's, that's, that's, that's an interesting scenario that we'll see uh, play out the draft, of course, in a few days, get excited about it. But uh, everywhere else, this team is looking pretty, pretty solid. Uh, yeah, so are there specific uh, strengths, weaknesses that, that we should talk about with these folks? Well, strengths are plenty. I, I think coaching, obviously. Outside shooting, which is not something we usually say, we're used to saying about the Minnesota Lynx, but if you look at this team, they got shooters everywhere now. They have Dangerfield, they have McBride, they have Powers to an extent. Collier has shown herself to be a good three-point shooter. Dantas, Carlton at the keeper, Bantam. I mean they're shooting all up and down this roster. So that's a strength. If Sylvia Fowles plays rebounding, that's a big if. And then maybe defensive and like maybe defensive versatility. You, you can kind of swap out versatility with actual effectiveness. Cause as we saw last year, just because you can switch on everything doesn't make you a good defense. And then I would also say depth, you know, they have Carlton coming off the bench, Dante's coming off the bench, Lexi Braun coming off the bench powers. It may be coming up like that's, that's, that's a pretty good bench. Is there anything else? Yeah, I guess, you know, optionality to an extent, but, you, you know, you had kind of mentioned that. Yeah, I, I do think depth is, uh, you know, outside of needing maybe a backup point guard, but they, they have so many wings and, and there's just not a lot of teams with a ton of good wings. Yeah, those, those are probably the, the strengths. I don't think there's anything really, anything else to dive into. And weaknesses, probably point guard depth. And we already talked about a lack of like a go-to offensive option, but I'm not sure there are any other weaknesses. I mean, I would say like, Maybe maybe defensive rebounding if Fowles isn't playing. Sure. I would maybe say passing is uh, – I think they, they are fine, but they don't really have, like, one, you know, to kind of tie it into the, the, the playmaking or, you know, who's driving the offense. They don't really kind of have that one great set somebody else up uh, for a ton of, like, nice, clean looks. You know, Dantas is maybe the second-best passer on this team. Um, uh, you know, Dangerfield, I think uh, maybe it's just kind of worth – saying like I think the one place her size can really hurt her you know less so as a scorer herself and more so just you know as a point guard you know uh you know the, the person running the offense you know it's just a little bit harder harder to see over the defense when you're you can't see over the defense and it's harder <laughs> to make those uh certain passes you know the kind of overhead hook shot to the corner or to the, the pick and roll popper or something like that it's just it's more difficult to make those passes and, and a lot of Dangerfield's turnovers as a rookie came from just, you know, not being able to make the pass over the defense. So I, I, I think if there's anything that, 
you know, size is really a, a limiting factor for uh, Crystal Dangerfield. It, it's not even as a scorer. We saw her be a, a great scorer as a rookie already from, from pretty much all three levels. It's just, you know, can she make the passes she needs as the point guard? This makes me wonder, if, and that's a great point, by the way, but this makes me wonder even more about how they're going to run their offense. Because if you don't have a a point guard who can, uh, if you don't have like a, a 35% plus assist rate point guard, how are you going to ensure that the ball still gets where it gets to be where it needs to go? I don't think like McBride has never been a high assist rate player. I don't think powers can pass it, but you know, she'd much rather shoot it. Fouls obviously never really looks to, to pass out of the post, nor should she, because she's so dominant down there, but you, you get what I'm saying? Like how are they going to run a lot of motion for this, this team? How, how many, how much action are they going to run off screens? Um, because there are ways to still make, there are ways to still get good passes out of your team even if you don't have a ball dominant point guard, you know? Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's, it's a concern, I think for, for me a little bit, but like, I think they just, hopefully they'll have enough collective passing. Like Dantas wow. is good. Collier is pretty good. Like uh, powers is fine. You know, McBride and falls, maybe not as good, but you know, Carlton is, is okay for kind of a low usage wing that, that she is also, you know, for listeners, if you kind of want, you know, we didn't really dive into Dangerfield too much. If you kind of want to hear more of our, our thoughts on, her you can go back and listen to our point guard recap show way back in November where we kind of compared her to you know Ty Harris and Jasmine Jones and some of the other Taya Cooper some of the other rookie point guards um that was that was a really fun discussion that was, that was yeah one, one of my favorite episodes of the offseason for sure but yeah no no other real weaknesses I guess I mean I think one weakness this team could have is maybe a commitment to playing with a traditional center if Sylvia Falls goes out you know I think playing a Chanwa as like the 27 minute a game starting center with the rest of these players, rather than just kind of downshifting and going all small ball. If you do lose fouls, like I think that could maybe hold them back a little bit. Well, what do you think? Do you think they're better off? You know, let's say falls gets hurt in the, the fourth game of the season. Should they just, should they kind of play as if falls was there and, and a Chanwa is just kind of a, a worse version of kind of a traditional center or should they, they go back to what they were doing last year? I think it'd be, it'd be better to, to go back to what they were doing last year because if 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 you get into that, then it's kind of sunk cost fallacy. You know, uh, well we 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 have we have a channel. We we need to play her. You know, we, we paid her all this money. We, we need to uh, we need to because she's not Sylvia Fowles. Not many players are besides Sylvia Fowles. I think she can still have a role in like a good offense, um, but. Given I think she's success, good. Like she's a good player. Like, yeah, she's she, okay. She, yeah, yeah. No problem. I'd love to have her on my team, but given the success that they experienced last year with this small ball lineup and given that they probably have even more depth now, that might be the way to go. Uh, so where, where do these folks come in just in terms of their standing around the league? Are, are they a championship contender? Yes. If foul stays healthy and I don't want to keep harping on that, but I think it's, it's unavoidable because if you think about all the other teams that are really good, they're, you know, they're going to be, you know, championship contenders, Vegas, obviously, if you don't have fouls healthy for that team, it's going to be a big problem given what they have in the front court, Chicago to a lesser extent, um, maybe Washington, you know, Washington, not, you know, Tina Charles, say what you want about her, but I mean, she, you still got to have somebody to defend her in the post. And even if they're not playing Tina Charles, well, having Sylvia fouls would be great to take advantage of their lack of size. If fouls is not healthy, I don't think they have quite enough, but if she is, I think they're maybe like the third best team in the league. So Does that sound about right? who over Washington, Vegas, Chicago, do you like this team more than? 
I like Vegas more right now. And I think, I think Washington is a good match. So you, you think right now you, like, well, right now, right now I'm putting Vegas in a tier by themselves. So, so I also would have Vegas in a tier by themselves. And I think I would have Minnesota in the third, like the, they would be third of three teams in tier two. Like, I, I think okay. I like them a little bit less than Chicago and a little bit less than Washington. Okay. That's, that's fair. I, I don't think there's much room for, uh, I don't think there's much room to split hairs between those, those three teams. I think, I think that's, that's a pretty clear one through four. Yeah. Don't you? I, you know, I, I don't think many people argue with that one. Um, but like, like I said, like given the coaching advantage that they're going to have on most nights, um, it wouldn't surprise me to see them. Like, honestly, it wouldn't surprise me that much to see them finish with the number one overall seed, you know? If everything goes their way regarding health. Yeah, I don't I think that's that. out. Of, I don't think that's out of the out of the equation. No, I could I could definitely see that. Um, and we've seen this team just like boat race the rest of the league in terms of their net rating before yeah. as well. Yeah, uh, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, Cheryl Reeve can never uh, underestimate. Did she win Coach of the Year or was it Lambier last year? I can never remember those things. I think we both had her as our our pick, but I can't remember who actually. I I don't recall. I don't recall. But in, she's, she's she was with, our Coach of the Year. She yeah, was, that's what that's what matters. Yeah. Uh, anything else on, on this team? No, I think I'm good. Um, this is, like I said, this is a really interesting team to look at because they had so much going on over the off season, but they were still a good team last year. It's not like they were a bad team last year that, that added a, that added a whole lot and they suddenly got better. You know, they, it's, they're, they're going to be, they're going to be good again this year. They were good last year. They're going to be good this year, but it's going to be a totally different approach or at least a totally different roster and really excited to see how it pans out. With that being said, uh, thank you all so much for listening. If you want to support this show, please subscribe, rate, review wherever you uh, are listening to us. We are available on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcast Manager, on Spotify. Tell a friend if you think they might enjoy the show. You can follow us on Twitter at Double Down WMBA at Nemchok E for Eric at Trinkwald for myself. Did I miss anything, Eric? No. Um, next week we have the uh, you know WNBA draft finally at long last. Oh yeah, and go listen to I mean go read Eric's uh, mock draft at Swisher Peel. Oh yeah, yeah. I spent a really long time on that. It's probably going to be horrible <laughs> as usual, but um, th- this draft is going to be really interesting because of all the players. You know, the NCAA gave them. We could talk about this later, but the NCAA gave them that extra year of eligibility, and a lot of them took it. So. Maybe uh, maybe some interesting scenarios down there in, in, in the later uh, picks of the draft, but that is that one landmark that WNBA fans always look forward to because it's like, yes, this long, grueling offseason is finally almost over. So thanks in advance for those who are going to read it. Thank you so much for those who did. I really had fun uh, doing it, as always. Um, and I'd appreciate your feedback. You know, I, I like talking about these things. So sure. thank you, everybody. And uh, maybe we can talk next week about uh, if any players you think made a mistake in terms of uh, choosing to go back, taking advantage of that extra year. Okay. All right. Yeah, that'd be a good discussion to have. So, yeah, uh, keep, in, keep uh, your eye out for the draft. It's going to be on the 14th – or no, the 15th, Thursday the 15th. Uh, sorry. And we're going to have some draft talk after that. So stick around. we got some good content for you.